Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. We dive into a controversy involving homeless people at Hamilton City Hall. Dozens of unvaccinated Hamilton Health Sciences employees are in danger of losing their job. The so-called Freedom Convoy of Truckers has made its way into Hamilton and the GTA. A shocking new study about the Holocaust involving grades 6 to 12 students. Baseball legend Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens not getting into the Hall of Fame. Is it now a joke? And some grocery stores are seeing empty shelves, but experts telling us not to panic buy. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Another controversy at Hamilton City Hall as advocates for the homeless in the city criticizing a move to board up some vents behind City Hall. What's going on? Well, an advocate for Hamilton's homeless speaking out about this and is uh, looking for some action as uh, some individuals who are uh, homeless, uh, houselessness in this city, looking to stay warm during these freezing cold overnight hours and, and even daytime hours. I mean, it's minus nine right now. feels like minus 18, 19 with the wind. Uh, Roger Boyd is the founder of Men's Street Ministry and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Good morning, Roger. Uh, good morning. How are you this morning? Not too bad yourself. I'm warm. Well, I'm warm. I'm in, I'm in my nice, uh, cozy house, so I'm nice and warm. You, you can say that. Others uh, obviously can't. What happened the other day when you found out about uh, what was going on behind City Hall? Well, I've been going behind City Hall for uh, a few months, uh, you know, helping the folks out there. Uh, you know, a couple months ago, it wasn't cold. But uh, it was a place where the, they were hanging out. There's uh, an HVAC system that produces uh, heat coming out of the building. And, uh, you know, word spreads. You know, there's heat and uh, for the ones that are sleeping outside. And uh, I continued to go there. And, uh, you know, we've had this uh, awful cold snap. Uh, the last couple of weeks, you know, some crazy temperatures, minus 25. And, uh, and these, these folks are sleeping out there. And uh, I've just been helping them. I've been helping them with, uh, you know, sleeping bags and tarps to try to, you know, surround the area so to keep the heat in for them. And uh, the, other, the other day I, I went there and it was all boarded up. It was all boarded up. I was, you know, I was very disappointed. Uh, I was thinking to myself, I, I understand both sides. I understand both sides. Like you can't have them at your doorstep, you know, having the homeless there at the doorstep, but you need to help them. You need to do something for them. And uh, I, I just didn't understand why it wasn't an issue, uh, you know, two, three months ago when these people were out there. And then all of a sudden when it's cold, it becomes an issue. And uh, a health and safety issue, I think it was reported by uh, the the city. And I was disappointed that they did it during, you know, the most important time for the homeless uh, through this cold snap. Why why couldn't they wait another uh, a few weeks? They've known about the situation. Um, it was just didn't uh, appear overnight, you know. Mm -hmm. So I was disappointed in that fact. So what happens now? Where have these individuals gone to? Well, a couple of them. Uh, the night after, they were camping, <laughs> believe it or not, camping on City Hall property in a tent. Hmm. 
and uh, you know we minister to them. We uh, you know bring them aid and food and, and whatnot. Um, you know they just they just find another spot. You know the city has opened up. You know they've opened up a, another place, uh, a warming center or a place where they can stay, but they only can stay for a few hours, and so. You know, they go in there for a few hours and then they got to be put back out in the cold again. Um, you know, this homeless thing, I, I didn't know anything about it. I started, uh, you know, the ministry about five and a half years ago. I didn't know anything about homelessness or mental illness or the power of drug addiction. And uh, what I've learned is what I've learned from the street and from uh, doing uh, the works uh, on the street. Roger Boyd is our guest here. He's the founder of Men Street Ministry. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. The common question that people ask is, why don't the homeless population just go into the shelter system? It's warm there. Maybe they can grab a meal, hang out, relax. Um, why can't they do that? What are some of the obstacles in place? Yeah. So, like, some do, right? Some do use those uh, services. And, uh, grateful for those services but uh there are others that are not capable um due to mental illness uh to make these decisions you know they come to my trailer and they can't even make a decision if if they want soup or a hot chocolate or they want a peanut butter sandwich or a tuna sandwich or an egg salad sandwich uh there's a lot of folks out there um just not able to look after themselves and uh it's very sad and you want to resolve homelessness the only way you're going to do it is by start providing treatment it all starts with treatment and uh you know each individual is case it's case by case um that needs you know special needs and special help and that's the only way we're going to end this if we start providing uh services that uh can uh, help them with their drug addiction or their mental illness, um, whatever they're dealing with. We need to start treatment to get them off the street because some of them just can't make that decision. Sadly, sadly, they cannot make that decision to come in out of the cold. I understand that you're calling for a dedicated space for the homeless population. Are you proposing uh, like an outdoor tent city in the city? Yes, yes. Yes. So wouldn't that just be an outdoor shelter? Yeah, an outdoor shelter that has services. And uh, to do this, because nobody wants to see, you know, if you look on my Facebook page, who wants to see a young girl sleeping beside a garbage can on Bay Street mm -hmm. and King? It's just heartbreaking. And that's somebody's child. That's how I look at it. You know, my wife and I, we have five, we have, we have five kids between us. And, uh, you know, their, their ages are from 22 to 28 years old. And uh, I look at these are, you know, the same age as my kids. And, and they're, they're out, in the, out in the cold and uh, they can't help themselves for, for whatever reason. And uh, you're never going to stop them from camping. You're never going to stop them. So what we've been doing for the last hundred years we need to change it. We need to try something new, try something different, and maybe we will we'll get a better result. And, uh, and having uh, supplying an encampment, uh, I think, is you know a good way to start. It's something different. You know, a f 
be, I guess at the, uh, the beginning of the pandemic, they had an encampment going on Ferguson Street. And uh, all the homeless were camping along from Barton Street to Cannon Street along that strip. And uh, yes, I agree. That's not the place to have an encampment. But I learned a lot from there. I learned a lot. It was uh, you could keep an eye on them. Um, you can you can supply them the needs that they you know that they need. It was good for the police. Um, it was good for the paramedics for treatment for overdosing. Um, the, there was all right there. It was kind of like a one stop shop. Mm-hmm. And Ro- uh, Roger, I got to jump in because we're out of time here. But I appreciate yeah. your time today. And uh, listen, good luck and uh, uh, God bless. I know you're doing uh, you know yeoman's work and, and trying to help these people get off the street and get uh, into a better place. Yes, thank you. Thanks well, for having me this morning. You got it, Roger Boyd, founder of Men's Street Ministry, joining us here. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, we've learned that up to 184 employees at Hamilton Health Sciences are in danger of losing their job because they're unvaccinated. It's a story that has played out in numerous workplaces and healthcare organizations throughout this province and across the country. Lior Samfiro is a co-founding partner of Samfiro Tamarkin LLP and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Lior. Good morning, Rick. Uh, is this scenario a little more delicate than, say, vaccine-related firings at a business office or a factory because we're talking about the healthcare industry, or is the same rule applying to everyone? Well, the same rule really does apply, but I would actually suggest that it's actually more obvious in the hospital settings that a termination for not being vaccinated is certainly not something that is legal in the sense that an employer has to pay compensation. And the reason for that is, unlike with other industries, when it comes to hospitals, back in the fall, the government of Ontario took a long, hard look at whether or not vaccines are mandatory or should be mandatory in a hospital. There was a consultation process, uh, medical experts were consulted, and ultimately the government decided, right or wrong, it was their decision, that no, hospitals do not have to have mandatory vaccines. We can control the pandemic in hospitals through other measures, such as mandatory testing. So that was the decision. So if a hospital says, thank you very much, province, but that's not good enough for us. We want to implement something more than that. Fair enough. But if an employee is terminated as a result of not being vaccinated, that employee is going to be owed severance. They're going to be owed compensation. And the problem is, certainly if we focus on uh, Hamilton Health Sciences, is that they're treating the situation as a termination for cause. Their plan is to terminate these employees for misconduct and not pay them anything. And that's where it becomes a problem from a legal standpoint. And so how is that scenario different from the common workplace? Is it because the province came out and said, no, you don't have to be vaccinated? Well, it's in other workplaces, the government has, for the most part, stayed away from imposing mandatory vaccines. But I think that it's that much more obvious where in the hospitals, they actually made a point to state that we thought about it. We really looked at it and we decided not to or that it's not needed. The net effect is the same. But I think hospitals, which normally one would think, well, you know, that's a hospital. There's obviously people there that are Uh, you know, compromised, immunocompromised, medically compromised. So it makes sense to have mandatory vaccines, and it may well make sense. 
But if the government goes and says, well, no, it doesn't have to be that way, a hospital can still make a choice. Obviously, nothing's stopping the hospital from making a choice. But once it becomes a choice, don't, you don't have to do it, it's a choice, there are legal consequences for firing employees that don't abide by that choice. Dozens of Hamilton Health Sciences employees in danger of losing their job because they're unvaccinated. We're chatting about it with Lior Samfiro, co-founding partner, Samfiro Tamarkin, LLP, here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Are many unvaccinated workers, healthcare-related or not, filing wrongful dismissal claims against their employers? Well, I can tell you this, Rick. I've been practicing uh, employment law for about 20 years, and I have never seen so many claims for wrongful dismissals in such a short period of time. Yes, across the country, uh, in Ontario and beyond, uh, there's been a, a sea of wrongful dismissal claims as a result of people either being let go or placed on indefinite leaves because of no vaccination or, or lack of vaccine. The, the, and the issue comes down to not whether the employer is able to let the employee go. Generally, an employer can let an employee go pretty much for any reason. It comes down to compensation. What a lot of employers don't understand or appreciate is that if they choose to let someone go or even place them on an unpaid leave, there are financial repercussions. There's financial liability. And many employers, certainly small ones, may not appreciate the extent of that liability, and that actually could put them under. If I'm a small employer and I let a few people go and I have liability now in the tens, maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars, that could be the thing that puts me under, especially these days when the business may well be struggling already. And I, I think a lot of businesses just don't appreciate that aspect of it. Well, let me give you a scenario here. Because many healthcare staff are being forced to self-isolate, obviously there's a staffing crunch. Can a, an employer like a hospital bring back a worker who has been fired for being unvaccinated? It, it can, but, but that may well... Uh, <laughs> deal with the messaging or impact the messaging that it's trying to send. I think that what the hospitals were trying to do is encourage people to vaccinate, which I think obviously is a, a very good thing. But in a way, it may have been a bit of a, a bluff, if you will, that, well, we, we're telling people we're going to let them go and hoping that, that, that the fear of being let go is going to be enough to get them to vaccinate. Well, I think the hospitals may have underestimated how strongly some people feel about this issue of not being vaccinated. And now having to let these individuals go when there's already a staff shortage, as you were saying, and that may impact the care of patients and then impact the community as a whole, is a huge problem. So I do foresee that hospitals may decide to either extend the deadline for vaccinations or uh, reverse their decision and bring people back and rehire them so, as, so that they can maintain the care that they need for their patients. You can hear more on this topic with the Employment Law Show starring Lior Samfiro from Samfiro Tamarkin LLP Sundays at noon right here on 900 CHML. Lior, appreciate the time today. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Rick. That is Lior Samfiro, co-founding partner at Samfiro Tamarkin LLP. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The small fringe minority of people who are on their way to Ottawa or who are uh, holding unacceptable uh, views uh, that they're expressing do not represent 
the views of Canadians who have been there for each other. Motorists traveling along the QEW between Niagara, Hamilton and Toronto being told to expect delays today as the so-called Freedom Convoy rolls along to Ottawa to protest COVID-19 vaccine mandates. Truckers expected to arrive at a truck stop in Hamilton on Kenora Avenue in and around 9.30 this morning. So what happens from here on in? Brittany Rosen is a Global News reporter, digital online journalist, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Brittany. Good morning, Rick. OPP say traffic disruptions are expected along uh, 400 series highways in this province, 400, 427, 403, 401, certainly the QEW in that as well. Sounds like it's not going to be a fun time for motorists around the Golden Horseshoe. Definitely not. Uh, motorists can expect significant delays, according to the Ontario Provincial Police. Uh, police are going to be out on the major highways today patrolling. Uh, we, I know the intention of this convoy is to be peaceful, but just in case things start to escalate, uh, police are going to be out there trying to ensure that motorists are safe. But like you said, along those major highways, 400, 401, and the QEW, yeah, expect some time caught in traffic. Uh, The convoy, we understand, is going to stop tonight in Kingston and then make its way to Ottawa for the big rally on Saturday. Um, What can you tell us about preparations that are being made in the capital? Well, police have uh, stepped up security measures in light of this because we're hearing a number of different reports right now. We know that the truckers are going to be heading to Ottawa to voice uh, that this vaccine mandate has infringed their rights and freedoms. But we know that the movement has gained uh, momentum from anti-vax groups as well. And we're also expecting to see a large presence of people outside of the convoy. We're hearing reports that the convoy is uh, made up of roughly 50,000 trucks. So as you can imagine, the presence is is expected to be quite large. Um, And we've been hearing from police that they are going to have a command post set up and and they're prepared for things to escalate if that is going to be the case. Um, As we've also been hearing some concerns that have been circulating online when it comes to disturbing rhetoric Uh, pointing to potential roadblocks and and violence uh, that could happen. And some even comparing this to the January 6th uh, insurrection on the U.S. Capitol uh, last year. So uh, no matter how valid uh, those discussions are right now, there is concern and Ottawa is prepared for that. Uh, To that last point with these uh, news that uh, or suggestion that far right groups are going to be involved in this protest, Um, Do we have a sense that the RCMP or even the military will be dispatched at all? I have not gotten that sense yet, uh, Rick. Uh, That's definitely something that we are going to be looking into. Uh, Right now, I've just heard that preparations are being made from Ottawa police. Brittany Rosen is our guest, Global News reporter. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We're talking about the truckers' convoy en route to Ottawa. It is uh, approaching the Hamilton area this morning. We've also learned that the GoFundMe account has been held. People can still contribute to it, but this money, and there's a lot of it, is, is not going anywhere right now. Yeah, no. Uh, honestly, I, I read that there was a, a huge fundraiser for this GoFundMe. Um, unfortunately, I haven't learned too much information beyond that. Uh, but yes, you're definitely right. Brittany, appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us and good luck covering this story today. Thank you so much. Take care. Brittany Rosen, global news reporter, online digital journalist covering today's 
massive protest. It has uh, gathered steam across the country starting in B.C. on Sunday. It rolled into Alberta and Saskatchewan and Winnipeg, crossed into the Ontario border the other night, and uh, lo and behold, now approaching the Golden Horseshoe area area as uh, truckers from Niagara, GTHA will converge here in uh, Hamilton and then off to Kingston, as I mentioned tonight, and then ultimately Saturday in the nation's capital. And we've heard that city of Ottawa, police there, RCMP, CSIS getting involved. Um, Who knows if the military will be dispatched? I'm sure they are looking and eyeballing the situation and at the ready. I think that would be the smart play. Uh, Because if things do get out of hand and there are thousands of people there, uh, safety will be priority number one. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Interesting. Well, that's one word to use. A study is uh, being released on this International Holocaust Remembrance Day, and it shows a lot of students in, well, this country in particular, are um, don't have all the details when it comes to the Holocaust, which is shocking to say the least. Joining us to talk about this is Dr. Alexis Lerner, an assistant professor of political science at the U.S. Naval Academy in Maryland. Good morning, Dr. Lerner. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. So you've conducted this study asking students to reflect on the Holocaust, give their views on it. Uh, and there is some, um, well, some some shocking findings. I'm dismayed and, and frankly saddened to learn of the results. How do you feel about what you found? Sure. I'll tell you a little bit about the results. Uh, we surveyed about 3,600 students across Canada and the U.S. These are students in grades 6 through 12, though there's a focus on grades 6 through 8. Uh, and we found that one in three students that responded to our survey said that they were not sure if the Holocaust happened or they didn't believe it happened at all or was it, it didn't happen as reported. And simultaneously, these students are saying, 40% of them are saying that they get their information about the Holocaust uh, from social media, from TikTok and Instagram accounts. They get 12% so they get their information from video games. And another 42% are saying that they get their information from books and television and a number of students in my group talked about Marvel Comics as the source of their Holocaust education. And so what we're calling for, uh, we, we see also in the study uh, a real change in the students who responded and had gone through the mandates. For example, students in states like Florida, 19 U.S. states have the mandates. And they, uh, they were more likely to say that anti-Semitism happens, that it's a big deal, less likely to engage in Holocaust denial, and more likely to say that they would act uh, if they did encounter some kind of anti-Semitic event. So let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Again, this study was conducted um, about 3,600 students between the grades of 6 through 12, and they were surveyed before and after a two-day virtual conference focusing on the Holocaust. And, you know, you see some of the results, and as I said, you know, dismayed, saddened, shocked, all these superlatives come to mind because you would think they'd know better. Were you surprised at the results that you received? Some of the results did surprise me. I was not surprised to see that students actually have a basic rudimentary understanding of, for example, who is a Jew without resorting to anti-Semitic tropes. They know what anti-Semitism is. They know generally what the Holocaust is, whether or not they know about the details of it. Um, So the issue wasn't necessarily whether they know uh, they've heard of it before. They have heard of it before. It's that they, they aren't sure what is fact and what is fiction. And 
And actually, we had a huge number of students, 92%, say that they explicitly wanted to hear more about it in school, and 87% said they'd love to hear more about uh, genocide in general in the classroom. So they're really calling on their, their educators and their school systems and their school boards to help them to make this kind of differentiation between fact and fiction, which in an age of disinformation and misinformation, it's everything, especially for youth. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Dr. Alexis Lerner, an assistant professor of political science at the U.S. Naval Academy in Maryland. Among the things we're talking about in this study is that a third of students think the Holocaust was exaggerated or fabricated. That number to me is is way too high, and that's only going to be tackled through education. So what do we have to do a better job of in our schools? Sure. So Holocaust education, when you're talking about young kids, Holocaust education can start in kindergarten and grade three and grade four. And when we're talking about grades three and four, we're not talking about concentration camps and gas fans. We're talking about bullying, talk, learning about bullying. We're talking about learning about tolerance and being kind to each other. That's where this starts. And that's why Holocaust education goes so far beyond identifying anti-Semitism or intolerance towards the Jews. It, it, it's about showing and learning about tolerance toward all people, which is a fundamental skill in our contemporary life. Are you uh, planning to follow this up with uh, some additional study on how students view the Holocaust? Absolutely. We are currently looking for funding opportunities that will allow us to expand this study uh, further. We have a, a great sample from especially across Ontario. I will say that our study, uh, our respondents are diverse in all kinds of characteristics. We are diverse, they're diverse socioeconomically, they're diverse geographically, they're diverse in terms of their race and their ethnicity and their religion, the languages that they speak at home, and the, the degree to which they've learned about Holocaust in the classroom previously. Because remember that some teachers are teaching this. The issue isn't these individual teachers, it's that it's not consistent across classrooms. Uh, so we do have a great sample, but we, we're looking for ways in which we can improve by, by expanding upon it. Well, hopefully that funding comes through. You are able to conduct more studies, and we can get more of this in our schools to make our students learn what has gone on. Uh, Dr. Lerner, thank you very much for the time today. Thank you so much uh, for bringing attention to Liberation 75 uh, and my uh, project. It is, uh, it is wonderful to talk to you and to raise awareness about this cause. That is Dr. Alexis Lerner, Assistant Professor of Political Science at the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. Startling results from this survey. 40% of students, and these are students in grades 6 through 12, so we're talking some high school students here as well, reported learning about the Holocaust through social media, which is probably about the worst place to go to to learn about anything. I mean, if you have you know a link to a reputable news source, fine. Otherwise, eh. Not so much. 33% felt the Holocaust was fabricated or exaggerated, and they were unsure if it even took place. How sad is that? By the way, today is International Holocaust Remembrance Day. Um, One other thing that I want to point to as well, and we talked about it in this interview, 42%. That's a pretty high number when you consider that 42% of students reported witnessing an anti-Semitic event, including at their own schools. Some students also believe something like the Holocaust couldn't happen again. Well, let's hope 
that it doesn't. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Today, David Ortiz becomes the fourth Dominican-born member of the National Baseball Hall of Fame. Yes, Big Poppy, a first ballot National Baseball Hall of Famer after the 10-time All-Star who played 14 of his 20 big league seasons with the Boston Red Sox, the other six with Minnesota, was named on nearly 78% of the ballots, clearing that 75% threshold to gain enshrinement. However, baseball legends such as Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens were snubbed once again and are now off the Hall of Fame ballot. Will they ever get in? Scott Radley is the host of The Scott Radley Show, weeknights 6 to 8 here on 900 CHML, and a columnist with the Hamilton Spectator and joins us now. Good morning, Scott. How are you? I am good, Rick. How are you? I'm good. Before we get into whether or not you think Bonds and Clemens should have been voted in, are you surprised after all this time that they were not voted in? No, no. Uh, because they are two of the most obvious faces of the steroid era stuff that happened in baseball and and because they are kind of surly and you know it's impossible not to bring the ortiz thing into it right away because you know david ortiz's name did come up in the mitchell report or not in the mitchell report in the well maybe it was it was but he, he did come up as a the the name of a he was one of the the people who apparently tested positive in an, uh, a test that was supposed to be nameless and not told, but it leaked out. And so a lot of people are saying, well, wait a second. If you're not going to put Clemens and Bonds in because of their ties to performance-enhancing drugs, why is Ortiz getting in? And it's a terrific, terrific question that, you know, even reading a bunch of stuff yesterday from voters, it's really hard to figure out it's it's, some people are tying themselves in not saying well you know what it seems to me to come down to is david ortiz was kind of a really jovial fun smiling guy who every you know big poppy the friendly nickname and you know it's hard to root against david ortiz but it's really easy to root against bonds and clemens because they're scowling villains and uh, you know it's Beyond that, it's really it's it's hard to see what the difference is, because all of them have Hall of Fame credentials, unquestionably. But if you're going to take, if you're going to be a voter and take a really hard line and say, no, I I will not put in the folks from the drug era. Boy, this is a this is one where you go, well, then why? It's 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 not easy to figure out. Yeah, there is a sticky wicket, obviously, when, you know, you look statistically, and Bonds is clearly head and shoulders above Big Poppy, but when you look at, yeah, the, the surliness, the um, uh, the sandpaper-like attitude towards the media, media, a lot of those media members are Hall of Fame voters, and you think, you know, coupled with the whole PED allegations, um, the, the vote is the vote, and it's unfortunate for people like Bonds and Clemens who had outstanding Careers. Let me ask you this, though. The Hall of Fame Today's Committee, which is like the old Veterans Committee, does still have an opportunity now because they're both off the ballot. And Kurt Schilling's in this boat, too, also off the ballot and didn't get in. They have a chance to give them the thumbs up in the years to come. Do you think that'll happen? And if so, how quickly could it happen? Pete Rose is not in yet. Um, Now, different scenario, different reasoning, but he has not been 
that that veterans committee has not decided to overlook the transgressions of Pete Rose, who, you know, by every account should be in there. I for and for that reason, I say I I don't think so. I expect that someday all of them will be in, but I kind of expect that it'll be after they've all died. So years and years from now, wow. almost almost as a as a thing that we're not going to give that person the the honor while they're alive to live off this. Because, look, you, you know, everyone who follows baseball knows, you give Pete Rose right now the Hall of Fame credentials, and, I mean, he is going to milk this thing for every, you know, every dime he can squeeze out of it. That's sort of the way things go, it seems, that, you know, autographs and everything else. I just, I, I don't think they're going to give that to them right now. Now, I could be wrong, and something could change. The, the one thing that seems to be really becoming a problem in a lot of people's eyes, and I think it's legit, is, well, wait a second. Um, you've now got your Hall of Fame without probably the greatest pitcher of all time and probably a guy who's in the top three greatest hitters of all time and certainly Pete Rose, so maybe let's make it two out of the three best hitters of all time or in that <laughs> two of the top five. Is it really the Hall of Fame if all these great players are excluded? And it's, you know, Rick, this becomes the most difficult, um, ethical, and all those kind of things. But it's supposed to be a discussion about who's a great baseball player. Yeah. And now it's a discussion of ethics and morals and values and rules and breaking rules and what do we allow and what do we not allow and what constitutes a test and what is suspicion. Boy, it, I mean, it's just a mess. Yeah, and it also has become, you know, who's a nice guy and who isn't? And I don't think yeah. that should be part of the equation, unfortunately. Scott, we got to run. Appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. Anytime, Rick. Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, weeknights 6 to 8 here on 900 CHML and also a columnist with the Hamilton Spectator. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The challenges and disruptions to the global supply chain right now are due to COVID-19. And the best way to prevent further disruptions to our supply chains is by making sure that people don't fall sick, by making sure that people are vaccinated. That, of course, is the voice of our Prime Minister Justin Trudeau reflecting on the supply chain crisis and some of the things we're seeing in grocery stores nowadays is some grocery stores uh, seeing empty shelves as the pandemic rages on. Uh, experts, however, telling us not to panic buy. Don't hoard, although I am seeing some of that, and you probably are too when you're out at um, you know, the Walmarts and the Costcos of the world, maybe your favorite grocery store. You're seeing a lot of people stock up on a certain item thinking, hey, if I don't get it now, I may not get it tomorrow or next week. Janet Music is a research program coordinator at the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Janet. Good morning. Well, we're seeing, as I said, and I'm sure you're seeing it as well, more and more empty shelves at our local grocery stores. Should we be worried? I think we shouldn't be too worried about this. Of course, it's always concerning when you want to go get something and it's not there. But overall, I think Canadians are getting what they need. Um, Maybe they have to substitute. But I think in terms of the supply chain, it's pretty robust. And and we're going to be okay So why are we seeing those empty shelves? What is happening in that supply chain where that product is not getting into the store? 
Well, we're kind of seeing, uh, you know, a culmination of a bunch of different factors. And, and this has been happening since before the holidays. And so I know a lot of people are, are attributing this to maybe, you know, truckers or unvaccinated truckers, but that's really not the case. Um, we're seeing a lot of shortages in labor in general um, in the shipping industry. And we saw this before the holidays, uh, well into the fall, actually. And and there's been some labor shortages at different manufacturing plants uh, in the United States, uh, some some labor disruptions. So that's all going to kind of uh, constrict supply. And then, of course, you know, it's Canada in January, right? So I know you guys had record snowfalls up there in the last couple of weeks, and all of that is kind of coming together to empty those shelves. So has Omicron exacerbated the uh, the issue of the supply chain? Oh, absolutely, yes. Um you know, even though we're kind of back, we're trying to get back to normal as we reach our vaccine kind of levels, uh, you know, but people are still getting sick. And then because it's more virulent, uh, more people are getting sick. And so they're having to stay home. And of course, this is going to disrupt everything, right? So not just the food supply, but healthcare and schools, et cetera, et cetera. So COVID-19 absolutely is still playing a factor uh, in our lives. But the weather, you know, uh, the snowfall, yes, but also last year, you know, the prairies had droughts, BC had fire and flooding, uh, you know, and they're major contributors to our food supply. And so we're kind of seeing the residuals of that now. Janet Music is our guest on 900 CHML. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton. Janet is a research program coordinator at the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. And we're talking about supply chain issues and those empty shelves we're seeing at grocery stores and uh, other stores as well. Um, Hoarding, um, as I mentioned off the top, some people are stocking up uh, on certain items. Uh, We should refrain from this, right? Absolutely, yes. Um, You know, when we hoard, you know, it kind of just makes that problem even worse. And it's really difficult to hoard fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, and but we're get, they're getting through, and so there really isn't a point to that a, a point of hoarding at this point in time. Um, like I said, we're we have a robust supply chain. Well into the pandemic now, we're we're we've worked out the kinks. Like I said, you know, you may go into the grocery store expecting to see a certain brand of something or a certain type of vegetable. It might not be there. You might have to substitute, but it's going to it's going to come back. It's just it's not uh, when we hoard, we're just making the problem worse. We're not actually helping anything. One of the aisles in uh, grocery stores that is uh, a little light on items is the cereal aisle. And this doesn't necessarily have to do with the supply chain. This is uh, a past work stoppage at Kellogg's, right? That's right. So, you, you know, the these big manufacturing plants often uh, experience labor disruption and that's what we're seeing now uh, play out over time and and I think that's you know important for us to have this kind of larger conversation here in Canada about where our food comes from and so you know should we be investing in more manufacturing here in Canada so we're not so dependent on getting things shipped up from the state I think it's a worthy conversation to have and something to think about. And again, the the uh, trucker convoy really not contributing to the shortage of items, correct? Well, I mean, most truckers are vaccinated and have been vaccinated. They're not um, an exceptional group that that you know are an outlier like you know from the rest of us. So 
you know, most truckers are out there working, shipping supplies from, from point A to point B. And so it might be playing a bit of a factor, but it's not the overall ca- uh, cause. You know, the supply chain is a very complex and, and lengthy uh, situation. So it's not having the effect that most people are attributing to the truckers. Is there a guesstimate on when uh, the supply chain crisis will begin to ease or we'll be seeing those uh, shelves fully stocked again? Well, you know, it'd be nice for COVID-19 pandemic to come to an end. <laughs> uh, that would be helpful. But as we get into the warmer weather, we're going to see less disruptions due to extreme, you know, snowfall, for sure. Um, and of course, you know, the growing season here in Canada is, is starts, you know, in, in, you know, April and May. And so we'll start to see more, you know, supply coming from within the country. But like I said, the, that adverse weather is due to climate change. And again, another big conversation we should be having here in Canada about, you know, how we mitigate some of those extreme weather events in the long term. Absolutely. Janet, thank you for the time. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Janet Music, Research Program Coordinator at the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University, sharing some insights into the supply chain issues that we're seeing uh, impact some of the items that uh, we uh, normally grab at the grocery store. And sometimes we get down that uh, favorite aisle and think, oh, it's not there. I'll have to wait another day or maybe even a few days. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.